Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Now, Jesus is taken... He's beaten, he's whipped, he's flogged, his beard is plucked, he's blindfolded, he's suspended upon a cross, and there upon a cross, Pilate has a sign hanging over Jesus' head that says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, this brings us to our riddle here for a moment. So we're going to take a little siesta in the midst of the sermon for a second, all right? Has anybody, has anybody solved my little riddle up here yet? Kelly thinks he has it. Kelly, you're waving back at the back. What do you, th- 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 he's not a plant, okay? He's not a plant. We did not rehearse this before service. Kelly, what do you think, what do you think the riddle is? There's a smart man at the back of the room right there. Now, does anybody, did anybody else get that? Anybody else get that? The riddle to this is help SOS. Why? Because this is an acrostic. Have you heard of an acrostic? Circle the first letter of each word, and there's a hidden meaning. Help, S-O-S. Does that make sense? Now, here's what's amazing about what was written over. I I hope that this blows your mind and you leave here worshiping the Lord a little bit more fully than you came. Here's what's amazing about what was written above the cross. The scripture says that it was written in three languages, one of those languages being Aramaic. You can find this in John chapter 19. In Aramaic, just like in Hebrew, very similar to Hebrew, it's a sister dialect to Hebrew. It would be written from the right to the left or read from the right to the left. So in English, we read this direction. It's backwards for us if we're reading Aramaic or if we're reading Hebrew, right? So this is what it would say. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, suspended over Jesus as he's hung upon the cross. Now, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, they use acrostics very often as a part of their form of poetry. So what's amazing about what was written above the cross, what Pilate, a completely secular person, not a believer, just a governor of Rome, just someone who's in charge of being able to carry out a death sentence, a capital death sentence. That's his role here, right? And so he writes this above that cross. Nobody asks him to do this. This is what the charges were against him. This is what they brought as charges. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, if you write this out in its acrostic, right, you have this, and I don't write Hebrew, so I'm just taking this and sharing this with you. Don't think that I'm that intelligent. I'm not, right? So look at this. This would be the acrostic. Are you following me? Because it goes the opposite direction. Are you following me? The opposite direction, okay? So this is what the acrostic would be. Now, when you translate this acrostic into English, this Sign right here, a symbol, is Yod, which would be our Y. This symbol here would be an H, Hey. This would be a Y, a W, which is Yav, and this would be an H, Hey. Yod, H, Yod, Hey. If you read this in our direction, what would this spell? What is Y, H, W, H? Yahweh. 
Why were the Jews so offended that Pilate would put this above the sign? Remember, Jesus was on the scene. Who do men say that I am? Well, we, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some one of the other prophets. We'll read that in a second. Jesus at one point said, before Abraham was, I am, the self-existent one. There on this sign suspended above the cross is an acrostic with a hidden meaning that is literally telling the Jews that you are crucifying the great I am. You are crucifying your God upon a Roman cross. There is a prince, there is a king, and the Jews hung him up upon a cross. It was all there for them to see. And they denied it because their hearts were so hard. Why? Because Jesus didn't come as the king they were expecting, as the one that they were wanting, and they wouldn't worship what they viewed as a weak king. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, to die and to bleed so that we might find life and hope and forgiveness. There's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 21, and I'm going to read this to you. Matthew chapter 21, you don't have to turn there just for the sake of time. Jesus says this, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and had a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Then the season for the fruit drew near and he sent his servants to the tenants to get the fruit and the tenants took his servants. They beat one, they killed another and they stoned yet another. And then he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them. In this parable, what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders, to the Jewish people, is that throughout time, God has been sending prophet after prophet after prophet to tell you his word and you've beaten and you've killed and you've stoned them and left them for dead. Here, I gave you this vineyard. I made you master over my vineyard. I leased it to you. It belongs to me, but I'm letting you steward it. And now it's time for the fruit to come ripen. And I've come and expecting for me to get my fair share, for me to get my portion of the vineyard. But they didn't want to give the portion. They wanted the vineyard for themselves. So they beat the prophets. They beat those servants. So look at this. Finally, verse 37, it says this of Matthew 21. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will surely respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, this is, this is the son, come let us kill him and let us take his inheritance for ourselves. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he shall do to those tenants? Listen to what they reply. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard or lease it out to another tenant who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Then Jesus said to them, have you ever read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, the Jews, and given to a people producing fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Jesus tells this parable now about the people of the kingdom. If you're taking notes, write that down. The people of the kingdom. This, this kingdom was meant for the Jews. They rejected their Messiah. They hung him upon a cross. His name was even written there and they denied it to the bitter end. Don't, don't let it say 
Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Instead, right, he called himself the king of the Jews. He said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said this, what I've written, I've written. It's going to stay. See, there was a people that God was going to raise up as a part of this spiritual kingdom. The Jews refused. So what does God say is going to happen as a part of this parable? He's not going to then just get rid of the vineyard. He's going to take the vineyard and he's going to have another prepare and take care of and cultivate and water and flower and fertilize the vineyard, one that will be trustworthy with this vineyard. You and I are a part of that vineyard. You and I are a part of that work. Now, God still has a purpose and a plan for the Jews. He's not finished with his people. God is not going to give up on the promises of the Jews. If that were to happen, then how could we trust God for the promises he's made to us? Right, but here, the people of the kingdom are not going to be the people that you'd expect, he says. It's going to be a different people. Now, let me read this to you. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified. And this preaching of Christ crucified, it's a stumbling block to the Jews, who, and it's folly or foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, it's to both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, the world's not going to understand this idea of Jesus being crucified, that one man can die for the sins of the world. But for those of us who get it, it's the power of God, right? Now listen to this. This is in Acts chapter four. It says this, this Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you. Peter's speaking to the religious leaders. You rejected this stone and the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. See, the Jews will reject this chief cornerstone. The Jews will reject this stone. But if you reject this stone, if you refuse to fall upon this stone, when Jesus was preaching about that parable in Matthew 21, he says, then this stone is going to fall on you and you'll be crushed to bits. You have a choice to fall upon the stone and be broken or have the stone fall upon you and be crushed. The choice is yours and yours alone. So it's not going to be the people that we think are going to be a part of this kingdom. You see, it won't necessarily be the most religious of people. And the Jews fancied themselves as the keepers of the law. And God entrusted to the Jews the transcribing of the law and the passing down of the law and all of God's story. And they did an excellent job, an incredible job with this story, right? And so even at one point, Paul is assuming a question. And if we don't need to be circumcised, then why does it matter whether or not we're Jews? And this is what Paul said. This is the advantage of the Jew And this is the value in circumcision that there's much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with God's word, with the oracles of God. Here's the problem. John chapter 5, Jesus said this, speaking to the religious leaders. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And that they are there to bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. All of the Bible that you've been studying all of your life is there pointing to me. It's a beacon of light shining upon the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that was to come. But you refuse to come to me that I might give you life. Herein Jesus gives us an excellent uh, exhortation into how we should study the scriptures. Do you know how that is? You should read the Bible and look for Jesus in every page. Did you hear that? Let me read it to you again. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. The Jews were fervent 
feverishly reading the word, memorizing the word, transcribing the word. And all the while, Jesus was on every page. It was there for the taking, but they refused Jesus because he came to suffer the first time and not to triumph the first time. And they were frustrated and they refused to come to him. When you search the scriptures, when you study the word, you need to be looking for Jesus on every single page. It's not going to necessarily be the religious ones that are going to be the people of the kingdom. It's going to be the people you least expect. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus told another parable. And he, and he actually says this. He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. It's going to be like a master who throws a, a wedding party for his son. And he calls all of the people of his area, of his territory, all of his friends. And he says, come to the party. The party's ready. I've killed the fatted calf. The ceremony's there. Come and celebrate the wedding of my son with me. And they go out and they invite all those people. And no one responds to the call. No one wants to come. Why? Because they're busy with their own thing. And they, they didn't want to respond to that invitation. So what does the master of the house do? He says those first people that were invited weren't worthy to come to the wedding. So go out and go to the highways and the byways. Go out to the streets. Go out and invite everyone else, all the people that weren't invited the first time. Invite them to come to the wedding of my son and I'll celebrate with them. It's not the religious people who are going to necessarily make it into the kingdom. My fear for the church is that there are a lot of religious people in the church who think that you're right with God. You think that you've responded to that invitation to the wedding, but you really haven't let go of pride or sin or arrogance or even your religion to actually come and be set free by Jesus, to come to the wedding feast and enjoy the wedding feast. So this parable he speaks, right? It's not going to be the religious people that are going to be a part of this kingdom. It's going to be the humble it's going to be the humble people. And just for the sake of time, let me read this to you, Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who are going to be the greatest people in all of the kingdom? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And he said to them, truly I say to you, unless you turn or unless you repent, that's what the, turn, the word turn would be, unless you repent and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The problem with the Jews during those days is they weren't willing to humble themselves and to admit that they didn't have it all figured out and that the way that they had been worshiping maybe wasn't exactly right. They couldn't humble themselves and become dependent. Why would Jesus use a child as his example, as his object lesson? It's because a child is absolutely dependent upon the parents for everything, especially a young child. They need that parent for clothing, for shelter, for food, for love, for learning. They're completely dependent upon that parent. And Jesus pulls a child and says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, learn to become dependent upon me like this child. Humble yourselves and admit that you don't have it all figured out and that I have something that I can teach you. Then you'll be called great in the kingdom. The people that end up in the kingdom are not the people that you and I might think. There's going to be maybe some really well-renowned pastors and preachers and Bible teachers that you think that, man, they've got it all figured out in their heads, but they really never had it figured out in their heart. And they're not going to make it to the kingdom. I'd rather be humble and be completely dependent upon my Father in heaven so that I would be called great than look like I'm a great person here, like I have my life all figured out and miss it and miss the wedding, miss the celebration. So there's the people of the kingdom 
Next, I want you to see that there's the presence of the kingdom. The presence of the kingdom. The religious leaders, again, they come to Jesus, the Pharisees, and in Luke chapter 17, they ask Jesus this question. They say, when the kingdom of God would come, and he answered them, tell us, when is the kingdom going to arrive? When is it going to be here? Jesus replies thus. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's already here. It's not going to arrive the way that you think it is. But the kingdom of God is already amongst you. It's already happening. It's already here. This is what he told them way back 2,000 years ago. And if the kingdom of God was there when Jesus was in their midst, the kingdom of God is here today. Why? Because the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within each of you if you belong to Christ. The kingdom of God is here in this place. In Genesis chapter 18... There's this tug of war that is happening and Abraham is struggling because God says, I'm gonna judge Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham's favorite nephew, Lot, lives in Sodom and he's just really struggling with this. And he says, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people left in Sodom, would you still judge Sodom? And God says, not if there are 50 righteous. And Abraham says, well, what if there are 45? I still wouldn't judge it, says the Lord. How about 40? I still wouldn't judge it, says the Lord. Well, what about 30? What about 20? What about 10? The Lord says, I still would not judge it. And I think that the inverse is true today as well. I think the inverse is true today as well. Lord, would you pour out your spirit if there's just one righteous here? If there's just one person that is believing and expecting you to move and to work and to minister. And what my goal is every Sunday when I arrive here, whether I'm preaching or running sound or cleaning a bathroom, is that my heart would be that heart that is ready. Because if one person, just one person, shows up desiring a move of God, I believe God will move. And the kingdom of heaven will be present in that place just takes one person. If God's gonna withhold judgment for the sake of a few righteous, don't you believe that he'll pour out blessings for the sake of a few righteous? A few that are hungry for that? Amen, right? That's what I want my heart to be at all times. Last sub point for this first point is the proliferation of the kingdom. And I'm gonna give you this, it's pretty self-explanatory. Read this later, Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. And read about how Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is going to start very small, but it's going to grow very big. And sometimes the health of that growth might not be the best thing for the kingdom. That there's going to be a mixture that's going to happen within that kingdom. And not everyone who's seated in the church, not everyone who's a part of the visible kingdom of God is actually a part of the kingdom of God. But it's going to grow. The kingdom is going to grow. It's going to proliferate, right? Your second main point there is the kingdom of God is not yet why? Because there's two kingdoms. There's a spiritual kingdom that Jesus came and he established the first time in his first coming, right? That people's lives began to be set free. They were finding freedom and forgiveness and healing from sin. They were crying out for mercy and that God would meet their needs and God would really deliver. And so the spiritual kingdom arrived, but there's a physical kingdom that is not yet, that it's on its way and will be here one day soon. So there's a promise of this kingdom. Jesus said this in John chapter 18. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom is of another world. It's of another place. This isn't where my kingdom is going to show up. See, the disciples, 
after Jesus's resurrection, right before his ascension, the disciples in Acts chapter one, they come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, all right, we witnessed the cross. We witnessed the empty tomb. We've seen and been with you for these days leading up to this time. Will you at this time restore the kingdom? Are you going to establish that physical kingdom, that earthly, worldly reign at this point? And Jesus says to his disciples, it's not for you to know the times when that's going to happen. That's really not your business, Jesus says. And then Jesus is taken in the clouds. He's taken up to glory. The disciples are standing there, scratching their heads, wondering what just happened. And two men arrive and speak to the disciples. And they say this, you see the same way that he was just taken? He's going to come back the same way. And when he comes back, that's when the kingdom comes. So there's a promise that this kingdom is not quite yet. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 21. Jesus said this in the Olivet Discourse. He said, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of the nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud, just like he was taken. He'll be coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He's going to come back and he's going to bring his kingdom. It's not here yet, but it's on its way. Now, listen to this. This is Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Speaking of this moment and the arrival of Jesus and the coming of the Lord and the rapture of his church, he says that this is something that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. No matter how difficult things get in life, no matter how turbulent the times might seem, no matter how much political disruption there is and discord there is, doesn't matter that the world is meeting over in Scotland right now, figuring out what to do with our climate. But none of that really matters to me at the end of the day because my hope is not in this world. My hope is in the fact that God is bringing a kingdom and I get to participate in that kingdom when he establishes that reign, right? So there's the promise of this kingdom. Second thing I want you to write down there is that you must make this kingdom a priority. Jesus was clear about this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said on the Sermon on the Mount that when you pray, teaching the disciples to pray, pray to the Father in heaven, but pray thus, pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make that a priority in your prayer life. God, bring your kingdom back. Again, the spiritual kingdom was already there. Jesus said this, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. It is at hand. But then he says, be praying for the other physical kingdom to come. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In that same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things would be added into us. That it has to be a priority in our lives. John Calvin once wrote this. He said, we must make the invisible kingdom visible in our midst. See, there's a spiritual kingdom that exists now, but the way we live out the truth that we have come to know, we have to make that invisible kingdom visible. You know how that happens? It happens when you choose love over hate. 
It happens when you choose to turn the cheek rather than to strike out in anger. It happens when you choose to speak life rather than death. It happens when you choose to build someone else up rather than to tear them down. It happens when you choose generosity over consumerism. It happens when you choose to share rather than to take. It happens when you choose to speak kindly rather than harshly. It happens when you choose humility over arrogance. Then you make the kingdom of God here present in our midst. It's the job of the believer to make that invisible kingdom visible. Can people see the kingdom being lived out in your life? It has to be a priority. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivorg website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivorg or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.